0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of your faces on here. It's good to be with you virtually. Let's go ahead and jump right in. We're going to get right into our passage today. And I also, uh, behind the scenes, it sounds like we're still working on getting uh, the video, uh, the the audio working on that. So perhaps after the the sermon today, we'll be able to, to hear an update from Jason and Megan. Well, in this uh, particular leg of the summer sermon series that we're going through right now, we're, we're talking about the idea of pursuing Christ together through global expression. Pursuing Christ together through global expression. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son, and that text made us ask, to whom am I a neighbor in Champaign-Urbana, or maybe wherever you live right now, to whom am I a neighbor? And we recognize that we are neighbors to many people of different cultures than ours. Last week, Psalm 67 was our passage, and that helped us to pray that God would bless us so that his ways would be known on the earth and that all nations would worship him. We were asking that we would be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Well, we're going to stay on that trajectory today. If we're going to be neighbors— to people who are different from us, if we're going to ask for blessing from God that blesses the world, that necessarily means that we're going to be crossing cultures. And that's what we're going to talk about today, crossing cultures. Now, as as we get started here, full disclosure, um, I have less cross-cultural experience than many of you who are a part of this worship service here today. And I definitely have far less cross-cultural experience than many of our global partners like Jason and Megan, even some other global partners who are probably tuned into this worship service right now. No one has ever or would ever confuse me with being an expert on cultural studies or on global missions. I've had one major cross-cultural missions experience in my life. And it is actually a perfect example of why I am no expert. Uh, So forgive me if you've heard this story before. But uh, during my grad school days here at the U of I, I went on a short-term mission trip with one of TCBC's missionaries, Carolyn Williamson. We actually got to hear from her in last week's worship service, uh, just a quick update about her ministry in France. So back in 2002, I went with Carolyn for two and a half months over to France And I just kind of tagged along with her. I did all the various kinds of ministry that she was doing, just got connected to all sorts of ministries. When we first arrived, she wanted to give me sort of an easy start, kind of a soft landing in the country. And so my very first job when I was there was just to connect with a group of Christians, not even non-Christians, just Christians, uh, at a church summer camp that Carolyn was helping to lead. Now, all of these people were native French speakers, of course. And a few of them had a little bit of English skill. Uh, None of them were fluent in English at all. And so I had to use my B minus C plus French skills to introduce myself uh, and to kind of tell my story to these people. Well, for for those of you who don't speak French, uh, there is... An unfortunate similarity between the French words for sin and peach, the fruit, peach. Um, and so, as I'm telling my story, right at the climactic moment where I'm describing how I put my faith in Christ and he forgave my sin, a global ambassador for Jesus that I am, I say, Jesus took away my peaches. Mm. Well done good and faithful servant. Well, blessedly, I I did not destroy the French church that day. Um, I didn't even undo decades of delicate cross-cultural missions work, but like I said, no one would ever confuse me with a cross-cultural missions expert. It's just not going to happen. Nevertheless, if you would extend a little bit of grace to me today, and that might be a tall order after the story, I would like to walk with you through a passage that I think God wants to speak to us through this morning. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10 in your Bible. It's also going to be on screen here in just a minute. This is the famous story of Peter and Cornelius. So Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a a military officer. And even though he is not Jewish himself, he's Italian, um, He's familiar with the Old Testament, and he really appears to be somebody who's seeking after God. And so one day he is praying to the Lord, which is strange enough for a Roman, and God speaks to him through an angel, telling him to seek out the apostle Peter, whom he's never met before. And so Cornelius sends some servants to go find this guy, Peter, and that's where we pick up. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. The next day, as they, the servants, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there a voice came to him rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Cornelius, at this point, summarizes his vision and God's command for him to send for Peter. Picking back up in verse 33. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, this is an Enormously important passage in the storyline of Acts. This is when the gospel comes directly to the Gentiles, to the non Jewish nations, for the very first time. The gospel has been spreading among Jews in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, even as far away as Samaria, the, the northern end of Israel. But now, Jesus' words from the beginning of the book of Acts are starting to come true. His followers will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse right there Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it's kind of an outline for the book of Acts and this story is where those ends of the earth start to be reached directly. Cornelius might be familiar with the Old Testament and seeking the God of Israel but he's still kind of an outsider. Ethnically he's not Jewish he's probably not part of the Jewish community, even the synagogue community, even though he's well liked by them. But now the word of God, the gospel is coming to him. Now, narratively, this, this passage that we're reading here, it's part of a larger story that runs from chapter 10, verse one, all the way to chapter 11, verse 18. And Luke, he's, he's the author of Acts. He basically outlines his narrative in four pairs. There are two visions. There are two journeys. There are two speeches. We, we read those things. And then there are two confirmations, which we didn't read. First, the Holy Spirit rushes upon Cornelius and his family and friends. It's, it's basically a Gentile Pentecost that happens. And then second, the church leaders back in Jerusalem, they hear about what has happened, and they recognize that it's God's work. These non-Jews, really are followers of the Jewish Messiah. They're filled with the same Holy Spirit. They're fully part of God's people. Now, that's very helpful from kind of a Bible study perspective, but we need a different sort of outline for our focus today. In this series, we're asking the question, what does it look like for us to pursue Christ together through global expression? What does it mean for us to be built up as a community of Jesus through whom God renews the world. Well, Acts chapters 10 and 11 envision a central trait of that kind of community. And the story starts with showing that trait in Peter's life individually, but eventually we get to see this trait in in the life of the infant church as well, a testimony to how they were pursuing Christ together with global expression. And that character trait, or that fruit of the spirit, if you want to call it that, is humility. Now, without a doubt, humility is a Christ-like virtue. Nobody's going to argue against that. But Acts chapter 10 presents a special kind of humility. You might call it cross-cultural humility. It's humility in action across cultural borders and divisions and fault lines. So rather than study this passage according to Luke's outline of those pairs of things, We're going to look briefly at seven key statements from this passage that sort of sketch out a picture for us of what cross-cultural humility looks like. So let's let's go ahead and dive in. I want to try and move us through this as quickly as I can. First of all, as Peter is praying, verse 13 tells us, there came a voice. The humility that Peter needs for the cross-cultural experience that he's about to have starts with listening humility listens to god's voice now the point of this passage here is not that peter was practicing a good spiritual discipline of prayer i mean yes his prayer and and probably his hunger had put him in a posture where he was ready to hear god's voice but humility in listening for god's voice doesn't doesn't appear it doesn't grow just when we're doing good spiritual things. In the chapter right before this, you you might remember the story of Saul, the Pharisee, getting knocked off his horse and humbled in a big-time way when God speaks directly to him. He was not seeking after God the way that Peter was in this story here. But what's similar between Peter and Saul is that when God spoke, they listened. If we're going to reach across cultures with the gospel, we have got to start with listening. Ideally, we'll already be putting ourselves in a posture to listen, but we'll probably need to get knocked off a few horses as well. In either case, humility is something that grows when we listen to God's voice rather than ignoring it. Okay, the second key statement that I want us to look at here, it comes before there's any interpretation to this this vision that Peter has had. And in verse 17, it tells us that Peter was inwardly perplexed. Specifically, Peter doesn't know why the Lord would command him to eat animals that the Old Testament law were ceremonially unclean. He starts to get a clue when these, these Gentile servants of a Roman centurion show up. These are people who would also be classified as being unclean or the the word and the word for common food would also apply to them too but god's purposes are still not very clear to him even after spending a little bit of time with them but rather than dismissing this this very weird message from god as just a crazy dream that he had rather than kicking out these gentiles after just the bare minimum of polite conversation peter sits with the unsettledness that is just kind of there in his soul. Humility leaves room for disorientation. When we encounter other cultures, we might not have the visions that the Lord uh, gave to Peter, visions that leave us baffled, but we are going to encounter differences that leave us baffled, differences that we don't really know what to do with entirely. As we rub shoulders with other cultures, we should expect to be perplexed like Peter was. Maybe that's going to be just at the level of being unfamiliar, being kind of confused, but it could go so far as to being totally turned off to aspects of cultures that we engage with. And our response, our our, our gut reaction might be, no way, Lord, I'll, I'll never eat anything impure or unclean. But I want us to consider the hard lessons that Peter has already learned at this point. He had been humbled by denying Jesus three times after saying, no way, Lord, I'll never do that, and then receiving Jesus' full forgiveness for that triple betrayal. He's, at this point now, when Acts 10 arrives, he's slower to make his no way kind of an absolute pronouncement. He feels the disorientation inside. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't know fully what God is saying or doing, but he's willing to stay disoriented, until God gives him some more information instead of just declaring this premature, that's it. I'm done. I know the right answer. Humility is willing to sit with that lack of resolution that comes when God calls us into multicultural, into a multicultural world of differences. Okay. The third statement now, and this is a necessary thing if we're going to handle disorientation well, humility recognizes where God is working outside or beyond our expectations. So while Peter is pondering this vision, God speaks to him again. He says, three men are looking for you downstairs. Go with them for I have sent them. Peter still doesn't understand the vision. And now these three Gentiles show up asking him to travel 30 miles away to meet a Roman centurion who thinks that Peter apparently has some kind of message for him. And the Lord says, I have sent them. I am working through these gentiles. I have something for you Peter through these gentiles. Even after 3 years of watching Jesus break social and cultural barriers in his ministry, after seeing him rise from the dead, after bringing after seeing Jesus bring thousands of people to faith in a single day earlier in the book of Acts, Peter was confronted with the obvious work of God far outside his expectations. I have sent them. Friends, as God makes our lives intersect with people from other cultures, we are going to be confronted with that message and with other messages that defy our expectations. It's not just that God is sending people to to our campus and our community from all over the world, it's that He is going to work in them and through them in ways that involve us and that impact us, that change us. At least that's what humility has to recognize. The challenge is for us to see and to repent of that subtle pride that our own cultural forms of knowing and following Jesus aren't the only ones or the best ones. So that leads us to our to our fourth picture or our fourth statement in Acts chapter ten. Peter uh, goes with them. He goes with these, these three servants, and he hears Cornelius' story. And finally, his disorientation starts to lift, and he's, he's able to adjust his expectations a little bit. Immediately, he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. That's in verse 34. There's a specific lesson and a general lesson for us in here. Specifically, this is just the basic lesson of humility. God shows no partiality. Therefore, I am not more important to him than my neighbor, whether my neighbor is of the same culture or a different culture. But generally, there's another lesson. And that lesson is that humility sees our faulty expectations and resets them. Or maybe I should say in humility, when when we're able to live with humility, we can see our own faulty expectations and reset them. Peter could have ignored God's messages and said, Cornelius, it's clear you want to follow Jesus. I think that's great. So why don't you just become Jewish like me and then you can really do it right? Humility instead allowed Peter to reset his expectation that God wouldn't be at work in pagan Gentiles like this. Humility allows a similar resetting in each of us when we encounter other, other cultures. But humility does not mean that everything is just relative or that truth doesn't matter. Just because Cornelius didn't need to take on the cultural forms of Jewishness in order to follow Jesus, it didn't mean that he could just believe or do whatever he wanted. The fifth key idea in here comes all, all through verses 36 to 43, but especially in 36 and 37. As for the word, Peter says, that God sent to Israel, you yourselves know what happened. And then he he summarizes the story of the gospel. God has a specific message for the world. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. That's how Peter puts it. So humility doesn't back down from acknowledging that. There's one true God who acted in a specific time and place, Through a specific person, Jesus, in a specific culture, through specific events, fulfilling a specific story and promise, and calling all people and all nations to a specific response, faith in Christ alone as Lord. It's a faith that transcends those specifics so that people from every nation can call this their own story, but it's a faith that is never disconnected from those specifics. Cross-cultural humility doesn't require us to reject the truth of the gospel in any way or even the particular cultural background of the gospel. But humility does mean believing that every culture encounters and then retells and then lives out that same gospel in a unique way, not a superior way. Now, the last two key statements that we should look at in Acts 10 come from just after where I I stopped our reading earlier. It's the account of the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius and his family and his friends, and then Peter baptizing them. In verses 44 and 45, we read that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, even on the Gentiles. Peter's humility had brought him and his listeners this far because he responded in, in humble faith. This has all happened because of that preparation Now God shows up, and he works with power. Because Peter was humbly faithful in responding to God, it paved the way for more and bigger things that God was was going to do. Humility opens the door for more of God's work. And finally, in, in what might be the most touching scene of the entire story, they asked him to remain for some days, according to verse 48. Humility opens the door, not just to God's work, but to genuine relationship. Because of the Holy Spirit's work, but also because of Peter's humility in following where the Spirit led him, these Gentiles continue to open their hearts to Peter. Now, we don't know how long Peter stayed or how often he traveled back to Caesarea in, in future years, but this seems to be like the beginning of a genuine relationship. Peter didn't just blow in on the wind, drop some knowledge, and then peace out. His coming and his listening and his sharing opened the door not only to salvation in these people's lives, but to a relationship between them, and that is a very beautiful thing that God is pleased with. So Acts 10 gave us these pictures of humility in Peter and Cornelius's story. Now, There are two more things for us to look at, and and I need to be brief in these things. Acts 10 is a picture of of that humility, but what practices would be good, would be helpful for us to live out that vision of humility? Now, more has been written on that subject than you might realize. In just the last few months, there's a book called Uncommon Ground uh, that came out, edited by Tim Keller and John Inatsu. I am, uh, I'm still on working my way through it myself, Uh, but chapter nine of this book in particular, it's called The Bridge Builder, is a good description of how humility builds bridges across differences. I I really do recommend it. But I've also been really helped by a book by uh, a man named Dwayne Elmer, uh, who's a a former missionary called Cross-Cultural Servanthood, Serving the World Through Christlike Humility. The point of this book is that humility is a foundational posture that's needed to build bridges for the gospel to cross cultures. And he he lists six practices or skills that really develop cross-cultural humility for us. Openness, acceptance, trust, learning, understanding, and serving. We, I don't have time to go through all of those, but the skill of learning in particular is one that I think we could keep at the front of our minds as we move through this last half of the summer and, and the fall semester starts to come into view. Dwayne Elmer talks about three kinds of learning that are necessary to cross culture as well. The first is learning about. We, we learn about basic facts about a culture. It's kind of learning at a distance. Second, we learn from where we ask people in different cultures to teach us. It's a little bit more relational and it's, it's humble. It's asking, it, it's honoring them and putting them in a position of, of power over us. But third and best of all, there's learning with, where we learn together in a mutual interdependent relationship with people from other cultures. Now his point is that all three kinds of learning are really necessary. But each kind of learning is more powerful than the previous one in developing humility in our lives. So, TCBC, what could it look like for us to practice learning? Learning about, learning from, learning with other cultures for the sake of God's kingdom. Now, granted, the COVID pandemic is impacting how everything looks right now. And that may mean that most or even all of our learning is going to be learning about for the time being. And it it may mean that we devote time right now and in the coming weeks or months simply to asking God to send people to us, kind of like he sent Cornelius and his servants to Peter. How might we plan right now to engage in learning from and with new friends from different cultures down the road as God brings them to us. Now, ultimately, Acts chapter 10 is not about Peter's humility or how great he was. Like every other passage of scripture, this this story is really about who God is and what God is doing. And so in the end, this conversation should not turn the focus back onto ourselves. To apply Acts 10 in our lives well, we can't just stop at Practices that build up humility, as important as those practices are. That would, that would just be a be like Peter sort of sermon, and I, I can't do that. We're talking about inner transformation. Growth in humility is not simply going to be, it's not going to come by the determination to be more humble on our part. So where does the power come from? I think this passage points to two sources of that power, and both of them are from Jesus. First, we have his example. Jesus Christ is the ultimate cross-cultural missionary, I'm sorry, the ultimate culture crosser. He came from the culture of heaven, the, the place where God's will is perfectly done, to the culture of earth, where it is decidedly not done perfectly. And more to the point, the Son of God submitted himself to first-century Jewish culture and to the limitations of a finite human existence. Philippians chapter 2, super familiar passage. We drop it here in sermons all the time. It sums up Jesus' cross-cultural humility perfectly. Though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we have Jesus' example, and it ought to inspire us. But second, and and more importantly, we have Jesus' very presence. The book of Acts makes it very clear that the church's mission is actually Jesus' own mission, which he is continuing through us. Remember, he said at the beginning of the book, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's power at Pentecost and in this story of Peter and Cornelius, his power is proof that Jesus is intimately present with us and he is infinitely powerful for us. Our growth in humility and our ability to bridge cultures for the gospel, they only happen to the degree that we stay grounded in our relationship with him. Well, 18 years ago, my my trip to France was, I think, a success. It's definitely not because of me. It is definitely not because of the peaches that Jesus took away. I interacted with plenty of non-Christians while I was there, though I'm not sure if any of them believed in the gospel as as a result of my interactions. I also interacted with many French Christians there, and I hope they were built up by my time with them. I know the Lord did things that I couldn't see at the time, things that I may not know ever, but what happened without question and what made that trip a success was what happened to me. I encountered Jesus through another culture in a way that I never would have if I had just stayed inside my own. He's inviting all of us to pursue him together like that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are the ultimate culture crosser, and that you yourself are the humble servant, the humble king, the one who brings the good news to all of us with humility. Lord, may we not only look at your example to see who you are in that way, but may we know you more ourselves and be filled with your Holy Spirit with power to bring your good news to all people around us with humility. In your name, amen.